0: The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Good day, everyone. Welcome again to another edition of Boomer Generation Radio. This is your host, Richard address coming to you from the beautiful Sun Splash Studios of WWDB AM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia. We're streaming live on WWDBAM.com. And a reminder that you can reach the show at uh, Boomer Radio at gmail dot com or like us on the Boomer Generation Radio Facebook page. And um, the shows are podcasted as well um, on JewishSacredAging.com. com. We're going to be back with our guests on the first segment, Sarah Mattis and Dan Cohen, talking about some um, unbelievably powerful and wonderful project dealing with iPods, music, and um, what well, you'll find out. And we'll come back to Dan and Sarah right after this message from our very good friends at Kendall.
1: Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall Outreach. Kendall Outreach serves the field of aging by raising public awareness of important health care issues of older adults. And it provides education and training in the development and implementation of comprehensive approaches to safe, individualized, long term care practices. Kendall Outreach has been sharing Kendall's approaches to quality care with consumers, advocates, providers, government agencies, and related organizations since 1989. To learn more, visit kendalloutreach.org.
0: Welcome back to our first segment here today on Boomer Generation Radio. And we are very pleased to welcome in studio Sarah Mattis, the resident services administrator for Barclay Friends facility right here in greater Philadelphia, as well as Mr. Dan Cohen, the founder and executive director of Music and Memory. Dan, I think you are hopefully on the line. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Great, great, great. Okay, so this is radio. You can't see this, but I'm holding uh, an, an, an iPad pod. I, 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 my eyes are – I always get them confused. But this iPod is the secret of really our conversation here on our first segment. Um, Sarah, you use these iPods with music for residents at Barclay dealing with dementia and Alzheimer's, correct? Absolutely. And how does that work?
2: So, our, our project started about six months ago. Um, as Dan will probably explain later, this has um, been going on t- maybe 10 years or more. But we were looking for something um, different to do with our residents. There's a big push to stop giving them. Um, powerful medications, antipsychotics and and, uh, medications to alleviate anxiety. Um, You know, there's a a big push to try and engage residents. So we wanted to do something fun and something different. So we have a work group that um, helps residents and their families describe for us their favorite music. We have a group of wonderful students from Westtown School that come and um, play music for our residents and see which, which music they respond to. We create a personalized playlist for every single resident with dementia. And then we've trained the staff to um, use the iPods throughout the day for, and evening for our residents. So um, we're looking to kind of increase engagement, but also decrease the anxiety and upset and agitation that sometimes comes with dementia.
0: So you mentioned that this is uh, this is a project that has evolved over the last decade or so and Dan- and you're the genius behind this project, if I'm not mistaken. Um, music and Memory with this very, very powerful video, um, Alive Inside, which you can get. And it's on a lot of YouTube uh, posts as well. Talk to me about how you created um, Music and Memory and this understanding scientifically of the power of music in um, dementia and Alzheimer's.
3: Well, what's so interesting about this? You know, you said genius. It's really actually a very simple innovation that anybody can do. Everybody gets music. Everybody loves their own um, type of music. but has their own favorites. And so, what we're really doing here is sort of leveraging that. You know, when when you when you get um, when your cognition declines with some form of dementia, um, even though you might not, in the more advanced stages, recognize your own family members or be able to communicate. Um, your emotional system is still very much intact. And and when we love music... It's really not our cognition deciding, yes, I like this song. It's our emotional system that it's just um, tied to. And so because our emotional system's intact, we still love the same music that, you know, for any of us today. Um, if we were many years from now we were to get dementia, we're going to love those same songs regardless of our cognitive decline in terms of short-term memory. So it's just that music is really unlike other senses, which may just be um, located in very specific, smaller parts of the brain. Brain. Music lights up much of the brain, um, and uh, and so that's what we're taking advantage. We're taking advantage of uh, the parts of the brain that are and our emotional systems that are still very much intact, despite the decline.
0: So if you if you go to the Music and Memory website, um, musicandmemory org, and um, uh, you ha- you have an opportunity to be part of this. So I'm holding my my old iPod which uh, the person at the Genius Bar at the Apple store uh, told me very recently is um, obsolete. So if I wanted to donate this to you uh, and to put it in the, the hopper, so to speak, how does one do that? Because I'm sure there's a lot of iPods running around the country um, that have been moved on because technolo- technology changes. How does this donation sure. thing work?
3: Sure. People do it one of two ways. They donate it to the um, nursing home or other organization that's running music in memory locally. Uh, they just donate them. You know, if somebody just goes and donates to any nursing home, hey, says, "Oh, well, you use this for you know your resident." They're not really. Uh, it's not sort of uh, part of the training and expectation to be used. And there's a good chance it'll sit unused. So you really want to give it to someone like Sarah who can really use these iPods. And so, and then nationally as well, if people don't have someone local, locally. On our website, uh, just as a click on, you know, donate, and uh, they can print out a a prepaid, self-addressed printing label. They can slap them on the envelope and just throw the iPod in there, and that'll come to us, and then we'll send them out to um, a nonprofit um, nursing home that's looking that's going to begin their program in the next thirty days.
0: So, uh, Dan mentioned something about training Mm -hmm. Uh, when you instituted this at uh, at Barclays, sir. Walk us through that process, you had this idea you you connected obviously with with music and memory. Then what took place at Berkeley
2: okay, well, first, we got a, a grant actually we got two grants, one from Kendall charitable funds that allowed us to to start this program, um, but Dan runs a training, um, so it, you know, was a virtual training we did. We had a whole team present, um, so we became a certified music and memory community. We then um, started planning. We did a, um, a huge series of, you know, kickoff trainings for staff, residents, and families just to talk about the program and to get everybody excited, and we used music. We got a couple of people's favorite songs and played those and, you know, had audience participation. Um, and, and then really we trained staff on the specifics of um, the iPods and how we were going to document the results that we were seeing among our residents. So our, our training really took about three or four months to really get everybody trained.
0: And you've been running this now for how long?
2: Well, we started in January, so okay. just about six or seven months. And what have you seen? Um, Well, we've seen a lot because we've been kind of tracking it. Mm -hmm. So obviously the most important thing we've seen is we've seen some some of our residents um, kind of come alive. So we have one particular resident who has... Uh, dementia related to her Parkinson's disease. And she listens every day to her music with her husband. And she's begun speaking in complete sentences again. Um, She has begun, you know, responding to staff when they're providing care to her. Her husband says he's seen some of the biggest smiles on her face um, that he's seen um, in a couple of years. So we've seen a lot of residents just be more engaged. But we've also seen, residents who are um, less agitated, less anxious. You know, we've been able to get our first resident off of a psychotropic drug. Um, you know, that's kind of our goal, to reduce those medications. So we've begun to see that as well.
0: We're speaking with Sarah Mattis, the Resident Services Administrator of Barclay Friends, a facility here in the greater Philadelphia area, and Dan Cohen, the founder and executive director of Music and Memory. Dan, um, Talk to us a little bit about this wonderful video, um, alive inside. What what was the genesis of that? What what is it? How can one get it? Etc.
3: Sure. Well, it's available on Netflix, so anybody can see it that way. They can order it on Amazon. Um, how it began, you know, when I started doing this, I'm a social worker, but I actually have a career in technology companies. And, um, in 2006, um, a journalist on the radio was talking about how iPods were ubiquitous. or everywhere. I thought, well, that may be true for young people and many of us older adults, but in any kind of residential care facility, it just didn't ring true, um, that everybody has their own iPod. <laughs> and so, um and so I little iPods in nursing homes and 16,000 nursing homes in the U.S. alone and none of them were really using iPods for their residents. Um, and so um, I started trying to well, I went into a nursing home and started using it. It was an instant hit. Um, and over time, though, I'd be calling other nursing homes and it was just really hard to communicate. You know, I thought, oh, it's a, sort of a no-brainer. Um, people would just adopt this and, and, uh, and it didn't necessarily happen so quickly. So I, I said I really needed to everybody's, because everybody's their own expert on music. Our whole lives, we Listen to music, and what I was talking about was just this sort of very significant change in how people are, um, and that just didn't, pe- you know, people because of their own sort of construct and concept of music said, "Oh no, you know, how nice they are bringing the old people music." But I go, "No, no, you don't get it." What I'm seeing here is really significant, and so I needed to get a, this on film so I could show people directly, even just a few minutes worth. And so I found a filmmaker to come in with me one day to a nursing home and just film a few minutes. And so that few minutes happened be Henry um, and that ended up going uh, viral. Um, it's the most viewed video on dementia globally, about 14 million views now. And uh, and and I think that the, the movie went viral or that video clip went viral because people is not a lot of hope attached to Alzheimer's disease and other dementias. Um, it's, it is a terminal disease, um, and um, and it, all we see in the news are sort of stories of how the numbers are increasing and that, like, searching for the cure. But this was really a good news first. And so um, so that because of the success of that, we decided to make a full. Documentary um, really about this, and that was uh, Alive Inside. It is. It won the Sundance Audience Award. Meaning, out of four thousand U.S. documentaries submitted, um, the audience chose Alive Inside as their favorite. Um, And so, it's an inspirational movie. It's kind of a depressing movie around you know these people love it, um, and so I'd recommend not only people see it, but they see it with their families, their kids, their grandkids, their grandparents, um, uh, because it just is a great conversation starter.
0: You know, you mentioned the, the, uh, this idea of a conversation starter. I want to pick up this real real fast. Is there a value um, for a family to sit down, let's say, they'll, they'll watch this, they may have a relative dealing with dementia or Alzheimer's, they sit down as a family looking at this video Uh, leading to a conversation of saying, you know, what if and if this happens to me, this is what I would want. And these are the music that I that would really speak to me. Uh, Have you seen examples of this?
3: Oh, this is this is definitely happening. It's very funny in uh, Raleigh. in North Carolina, uh, the movie was shown to an audience of 700 people, mostly in healthcare. and, and actually one of the local assisted living facilities, the, the uh, elders from that facility came in a busload, and they saw it, and they went back to the facility, and a couple of weeks later, I learned that when they got back to the assisted living facility, they said, um, I want you to ma- help me make up my playlist, because when I get there to that point of decline, I don't want anybody playing the music that I hate. For me, so uh, so yeah, the people are doing this. I mean, you know, everybody should. Uh, it's my view now that we are more successful if we know uh, if, if as people enter the healthcare system, whether a nursing home or just living or a hospice or a hospital, if they already have their music uh, playlist set, then they're going to enjoy their experience that much more, and we don't have to figure it out. And if they can't tell us, then we're really stuck. If they've had a stroke or a traumatic brain injury or you know dementia, so we should all even home and healthy have the playlist let's all enjoy it now and if we can't over oh, the technology i don't know that well get your kids get your grandkids to help um and then you'll have it and you'll benefit um so that's kind of the yeah so that conversation um spark uh, that the movie uh can um, help facilitate can really result in just um a better quality of life if people really take the time make it happen for themselves and for the people around them
2: and and I was just going to add, I was a hospice social worker for about 15 years, so I believe in all kinds of advanced care planning. But I think this is crucial because we have struggled a little bit with some family members who didn't quite know what their mom or dad loved. So I think getting that out there in the same way you you would do a living will, I think, is, is really important, and it's a fun part of talking about you know some topics that aren't always so fun.
0: Thank you. I, we're again we're with Sarah Mattis, the Resident Services Administrator of Barclay Friends, and Dan Cohen, the founder and executive director of Music and Memory. We'll be back with Dan and Sarah right after this message from our friends at Kendall.
1: Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall Outreach. Kendall Outreach serves the field of aging by raising public awareness of important health care issues of older adults. And it provides education and training in the development and implementation of comprehensive approaches to safe, individualized, long-term care practices. Kendall Outreach has been sharing Kendall's approach to quality care with consumers, advocates, providers, government agencies, and related organizations since 1989. To learn more, visit kendalloutreach.org.
0: Welcome back to our first segment here on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio with Dan Cohen, the founder and executive director of. Music and memory, talking about, um, alive inside that award-winning video and the role of music in dealing with dementia and Alzheimer's and his program of music and memory, as well as Sarah Mattis, the resident services administrator, uh, down the street at Barclay Friends, uh, here in greater Philadelphia. Uh, Sarah, before we went on your, on the air, you mentioned the impact of this program On staff, I think uh, we we always talk about the impact on residents, but you mentioned something very, very interesting to me that your staff, and I would imagine this is replicated in other facilities, uh, come from a variety of different cultural backgrounds. And yet this music to them is a unifying factor. Could you speak to that a little bit?
2: Yes, we do have a very diverse staff. We have uh, a number of employees from Sierra Leone. We have people who've, you know, kind of spent their entire lives in in southern Chester County. So we just have lots of different perspectives on life and on care and on growing older. And yet what I found is, you know, all of a sudden staff – have more in common with other staff than they thought they did. Um, You know, they're talking about music, they're talking about music they love, and it's been very much a unifying factor for our staff, who I think at times, you know, think that they don't have so much in common. Um, But it's also given them something else in common with residents. I have, you know, 20-year-olds taking care of people who are 100, but, you know, their love of music really has given them something special to talk about and to do together.
0: Could you just give me an example of what you've seen in this, because this intergenerational thing and the staff building relationships, um, you know, we talk a lot about, and, and, and Mr. Diffie, who was here last week, um, was talking about the, the, the fear of isolation and, and the, the really the, the the damage that isolating human beings can do. And yet here we have a situation, um, that you're responding to and Dan is that music Sort of like bridges people, generations, and cultures together. Could you give me a real quick example of, of something that you've seen in these seven months at Barclay where that music has bridged this generational and cultural gap?
2: Well, I think one of the neat things that we've done is um, what we found is sometimes staff and a couple of residents want to listen to music together. Um, so, you know, we use a lot of speakers, so we don't just put headphones on people and kind of let them be with their music, but we also, uh, what I found happening kind of organically in kind of the neighborhoods in our nursing home is, you know, somebody plugging um, one person's iPod into a speaker and, you know, a nurse and two residents kind of enjoying it together. So that's been a neat part of it.
0: <laughs> it must be. I would imagine that there's a tremendous opportunity just to bring people together. Dan... The, the, this project, which, first of all, um, let, let's get this out uh, true. If somebody wants to, to touch base with you or the project, where do they go? What, what's the website? Any contact information? How do they do that?
3: Sure. The website really is perfect. Music and memory.org. Music and memory. And written out, but music and memory in any way actually will get to the website pretty well. Um, yeah, and if people want to volunteer or they want to donate or they want to get trained, I mean, just click right on the home page. And it, the website is really rich with the information. And, you know, whatever people need, they'll, they'll find on the website in terms of information.
0: So talk to us a little bit about, I mean, this obviously has been going on for, for I guess, close to a decade. For, since this began around 2006, it is a decade. How is this funded? Do you do you raise the money? People donate. The, uh, Sarah mentioned that you got a grant mm-hmm. from from a variety of places. How is this funded? And, and and I guess first of all, Dan, how many facilities are currently involved with the music and memory program? Do you know that?
3: Sure. So uh, over 3,100. 3,100.
0: Um, okay
3: every state in the u.s across canada australia europe israel south africa um, you know, the challenge is the same for everybody in terms of dementia. And so uh, I was just talking to a journalist in Beijing. I mean, <laughs> they're going to translate it and get it up for their people and how to do this at home. Um, in fact, on our website, anybody can download a guide, how to set up a personalized playlist for a loved one. It's a free. It's a PDF. Just go there and, and download it. Um, and so funding really comes from a variety of sources, from, uh, as uh, Sarah said, I mean, locally she receives support and from sort of the parent uh, organization. Organization, um, Kendall, which has been just fantastic, uh, we supportive, Uh, and we generate uh, funds from individual donations, foundation grants, government monies, uh, revenue that we generate just from training or from speaking. Um, So it's sort of kind of multifaceted but sure. I would like to go back if I can to the um, intergenerational piece yeah um, th- this is really important you know uh, n- when somebody has dementia and they're living at home um, family tends to avoid them they don't know what to do they're afraid of the disease uh, and then if that person then moves to you know, this living facility and nursing home that kind of seals the deal for many people well you no, know, they're being taken care of it sort of makes up next year so they don't get visited as often as they might even though the relatives are out there um, and so you know Part of what we want to do, what the music does, it, it transforms the visit. So when families come and visit, they have a better time because the person there is maybe reminiscing more and they'll be more alert and engaged. Um, for staff, it facilitates interaction, but also facilitates uh, when the way you talked, um, Sarah talked about the staff um, from different uh, countries and cultures and ages um, and as uh, students come in you have it, it helps just cross the divide but in pennsylvania as in every other state in the u.s here we have alzheimer's such a huge issue and yet if you were to look at the k-12 through 12 curriculum in pennsylvania is the word dementia alzheimer's mentioned once in the science or health curriculum and if if you know yes, then please say so. But my guess is the answer is no, which is kind of just odd because this is such a big deal. It gets such coverage. It's so important. It's such a, it's a number one sort of concern in terms of growing importance in terms of disease and mortality and, and disruption and caregiver stress. Um, yet we don't even whisper it to our kids, and so the kids, therefore, growing up with a lot of the same misinformation about the disease that their parents have, instead of taking those hundreds of thousands of kids in Pennsylvania who are grandkids of those with dementia and instead of sort of shying away, oh, grandma has dementia, I'm done with her maybe, I said, no, grandma has dementia, but her emotional system is intact, I can really help, I'm tech savvy, I'm going to light grandma up with her favorite music and help her live better. Um, And so we have this whole force of kids waiting to be, so what what we're doing, we have actually in Wisconsin a sort of a project we're working with uh, matching 37 high schools with 37 colleges, um, uh, high schools and colleges with 37 nursing homes. and um, Department of Health are working with there. And then we're going to replicate, we're going to develop protocols for both the homes and the schools and then backtrack that. All 300-plus uh, homes uh, in the state are running music and memory. I'm sorry, it's almost all of their homes. Um, and um, and then we're going to, you know, Texas is looking to do the same thing in California. And so we're looking to the states to say, like, since we have this big gap, uh, let's fill it. Uh, let's make use of, the, of our youth in a way that they are just and they love it. It's not like, oh, they're going to go in and they're helping others. Uh, The feedback is, this is great for the kids because it really boosts their confidence. They come back saying, this is the best thing I ever did. Helped uh, really improve someone's life materially. um, And they develop great relationships with the elders. So this is the direction we're going is to layer in this intergenerational piece in a large way. Um, And we invite those in Pennsylvania who are in the educational system to really join with us and make this happen.
0: That's very exciting. And and before we start Running out of time because we only have about three or four minutes left in this segment. Picking up on this playlisting, Sarah, walk, walk me through how you do this at Barclay. I know some a resident comes in. You talk with their families. How do you decide what Mr. Jones or Mrs. Jones wants to hear?
2: Well, you know, the first thing we do is have um, the resident. If they can, or their family member, fill out just a musical preferences questionnaire, and we, you know, kind of adopted the one that um, Dan's folks have up on their website. So we just gather information. We then have um, a number of kind of test iPods that we've created with certain genres of music, and we had our wonderful group of 11th graders from Westtown School kind of play play music for residents just to see what tunes they seem to like and what they seem to respond to. So that's how we do it. And then then we create a playlist, and then we ask staff to let us know if there are any songs in there that someone seems to not like or not respond to as well.
0: So we, in, in this last couple of minutes, your impressions, you're, you administrate this program, you administrate Barclay Friends, stepping back. And I'll throw this out to both of you very quickly and and give you a whole 30 seconds each to respond. What do you see as the future of this program, implication-wise, for the total care of dementia and Alzheimer's? Is this the beginning of a wave, um, Sarah? Uh,
2: I think absolutely. This is a really wonderful, positive tool we can use to help people with dementia and you know before we had medication you know we had restraints we had all kinds of awful things in the past but I think this is just the beginning of um, you know finding something that staff like to use with residents and that residents are really receptive to.
0: Thank you Dan.
3: Um, well, yes, we're looking to, you know, just the way it was, there was really no hesitation getting every person the te- television set in their room. Um, and then when there used to be the big TVs and then the flat screen all just showed up, why can't we do the same thing? One, one iPod per person um, so that everybody can have access to that music. Uh, and so we're shooting for universal access across the healthcare system in the U.S. and abroad. Uh, and we're going to get there with everybody's help.
0: And real fast, the, to, the contact information for both Alive Inside and the website is what, Dan?
3: The so musicandmemory.org, and on, on the website, Music and Memory, there's also a live inside, live inside screen that comes right up, and they can click on that uh, if they want to um, order the film and um, get more information. <laughs>
0: So thank you very much. We've, this is a fascinating, uh, fascinating conversation and an unbelievably wonderful program. Sarah Mattis, the Resident Services Administrator at Barclay Friends here in Greater Philadelphia, and Dan Cohen, the Founder and Executive Director of Music and Memory. Sarah, here's my iPod.
2: Thank you so much. I'll put it to good use.
0: <laughs> <It's>, um, <laughs> Thank you very much for doing that. It makes me feel good that they'll be helping another human being. So Dan, thank you very much for all you've done and will continue to do. And Sarah, continued good luck with Barclay. Take care everyone. We'll be right back with our second segment. Uh, we're going to be moving, and, and actually, it's somewhat associated in a way with some discussion about uh, the Penn program on mindfulness. Uh, we'll be doing that right after this little bridge. It's a beautiful sunny day. Good day for little Ray Charles to bridge us between number one and number two segment.
1: When you're dead, you're done So let the good time roll I said let the good time
4: roll I don't care if you're young or old
0: You ought to get together and let the good time roll
1: Don't sit there mumbling Talking
0: trash If you want to have a You got to go out and spend some cash
1: and let the good time roll now. I'm talking about the good times. Well, it makes
3: no difference whether you're young or old. All you got to do is get together and let the good time roll
1: In town, I got a dollar and a quarter, and I'm just ran the clown. But don't let no female play me cheap. I got 50 cents more than I'm gonna
2: keep. So let the good time roll now. I tell y'all, I'm gonna let the good time roll now. Well, it don't make no difference if you're young or old. All you got to do is get together
1: and let the good time roll. Yeah, no matter whether,
2: rainy weather,
1: if you want to have a ball, you got to get yourself together. Oh, get yourself under control. Oh, let the good time
0: welcome back to our second (laughs) segment. it's a great album um of boomer generation radio here and we are very pleased and i think you're on the line mara are you there on the line
4: i am here and i was enjoying that music very much
0: (laughs) it's a a great album it's one of the old original ray charles uh, i think it's from the late 50s uh the genius album it's great great anyway enough of that mara why am i pronouncing your last name correctly
4: its way, way, W-A- okay, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Anyway, anyway, <laughs> Mara, welcome to the show uh, here on Boomer Generation Radio, WWDB AM eight sixty here in Greater Philadelphia, and we're streaming live, I think, all over the universe at WWDBAM dot com. And again. You can reach us at Boomer Generation Radio at Gmail or like us on the Boomer Generation Radio Facebook page, Mara Way from the University of Pennsylvania program on mindfulness, program for mindfulness. So welcome very much. Thank you very much for calling in and
4: Thank you um for
0: having me. really want to talk about it. It's a fascinating subject. We keep hearing about mindfulness meditation over and over. It comes up all the time here on Boomer Generation Radio. Uh, people have used it. People are using it. Um, first of all, let's get really, really basic. What is mindfulness meditation?
4: Yeah, good place to start. Um, so it's sort of a, you know, the term mindfulness itself is, uh, comes from a, a totally different language called Pali, and it actually translates as heartfulness. Um, but the way that it has become, come to be known here in our culture is, is a way of paying attention. Mindfulness meditation is a way of paying attention. Um, and John Kabat Zinn is the sort of founder of one of the most popular models for bringing this into our culture, mindfulness-based stress reduction. And the definition that he uses is uh, bringing your attention into the present moment with three qualities, on purpose, in the present moment, and without judgment. So those are the three sort of defining characteristics of mindfulness, as it is known here, on purpose, in the present moment, and without judgment.
0: Purpose, present, and
4: not judgment, right? Right. So bringing your attention to exactly what's happening in your experience right now, in each and every moment. So it it takes practice. It takes a lot of practice, and especially for, I think more than ever, this culture where our minds are in the future or our attention is in the past and we're juggling so many things and, you know, more than ever, there's so many distractions that it's challenging. It's challenging for us and maybe even especially for boomers who are juggling children and parents and jobs and other aspects of life, many commitments. Um, you know, we actually see a lot of boomer generation in our programs for that reason you yeah, my sense all of the juggles
0: of life yeah that that's what i wanted to follow up on that my my sense is from just my work and and, and going around that the baby boom generation has really been one of the the drivers of the engine of making this uh, mindfulness meditation very popular would i be wrong in this or 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 kind of correct
4: uh, i don't know you know so i'm not i don't know what the drives you know, what has been motivating the drive other than stress in our program. So, uh, and initially, you know, it has actually changed over the time. Our program has been in existence for close to 25 years, and it was founded by a a physician here at Penn. Uh, And initially, many of his patients and his colleagues' patients were uh, the first sort of, you know, people to enter into our program as it existed. in it's a slightly different form than it is right now. Um, so the, the motivation primarily has been distress, like wanting to alleviate symptoms. But that has changed over the years. although that is still stress is still probably the, the largest motivating factor. And, and baby boomers, you know, that generation, once you get to a certain age and you have all of those juggles, um, but also have some more freedom of not caring for young children, and you know maybe a little bit more flexibility in life. There's um, there is more of a possibility to enter into a, a structure of a program like ours.
0: So talk to me a little bit about the Penn program because it, in our area, for those of you who may be listening to this outside the Greater Philadelphia area, the Penn program is probably the most well known. Program here in the Delaware Valley, uh, Dr. Bame, if I'm not mistaken, is the, the the person who was in charge of this or still is in charge of the
4: program. That's correct. Yeah, the, our program was founded by Michael Bame, uh, who's still here at Penn. He was a practicing physician when he started the program, and uh, now we have a teaching staff of six instructors, including myself. And th- what the program is, it's a it's a very structured eight week program where People come together in a group, uh, usually there's about 25 people in a group, and each week over the course of eight weeks, people learn and practice mindfulness meditation techniques and uh, they practice in different ways over the course of this time and have discussions about it, are able to ask questions about it, and through practice and experience come to understand what it is and how to apply it to life to manage stress.
0: So this so, is a oh, – go ahead, I'm sorry.
4: Oh, yeah, no, go ahead, please.
0: So this is a – you can learn how to do this, in other words, correct?
4: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's practice. It takes practice and it takes experience and it takes some time and repetition. It's very much like learning an instrument, you know, or learning how to swim or any other kind of sport. It's It's the kind of practice that happens through a body – Awareness and experience, and then once it's learned, it's sort of um, it's understood in the same way that you don't forget how to learn how to ride a bike. You can get back on it at any time, and then you can regain your balance.
0: Is it like well, if 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 we take a look at the mind as a muscle, just to use this imagery, which may be totally medically unsound, but. Um, this, you're training its muscle memory. If, is it, am I misstating that?
4: Yeah. That's what, we use that analogy a lot, oh, actually, okay. in that you're, you're training your attention. So, the, like, the largest factor in, you know, your personal factor of this practice is your attention. And, you know, if you bring your attention to a fixed object, let's say something that's unmoving, like the breath, which is what we use in our program, you may notice after about 10 seconds or less or or more that your attention has wandered (laughs) so uh, that and that's the nature of attention it wanders so what you're doing with mindfulness training is you're learning how to strengthen your attention and so that it becomes more stable so that you can notice the way that the mind moves and the habits of the mind and the habits of the body and how they impact your well-being so in relation to stress you begin to notice the way that you react the way that you're triggered and what happens uh, you know what kinds of thoughts arise or what kinds of emotions you experience or what kinds of behavior that might ordinarily be automatic and outside of your awareness you engage in
0: this is so tied to, in, this is tied to breathing correct as well
4: yeah so we you know at the very basic foundation of practice when you're just starting out we in our program and many other meditation traditions use the breath as an object of attention but you could really use anything you could use uh, a mantra for example that's something that's used in other meditation traditions you could bring your attention to a sound that you recite over and over again or you can bring your attention to something that you see sometimes people use a candle flame uh, in our program, we tend to use the breath as the object of attention, as a way to help it become more stable. We also use sensations in the body. And, and actually, each week, uh, the focus of attention gets a little bit more complicated. So over time, people, we ask people to bring their attention to their thoughts more directly or bring their attention to their emotions that arise in a stressful experience uh, so that they can become more and more aware of, of what happens in their experience, in, in all life moments. And so that's, that's really sort of the aim, which is, you know, in the course of life, it's just an ongoing process that really never ends.
0: So, for exa- so I, I have to ask you this question too because it's very, per- I, I, I've tried, I'm, I've flunked meditation. I'm sure you've heard this a lot. <laughs> you know, every time, you say there's about a 10 second time frame before your mind starts to wander. I think I'm down to like three seconds.
1: <laughs> and,
0: <laughs> but in all seriousness, I'm fascinated by, and again, I thank you for coming on. I'm fascinating by this because I see more and more of the people that I deal with as I travel and do speaking engagements and, and teaching, who are doing this and are attracted to this? This is this, the wandering thing. How do you begin to tell somebody like me, who you know just sort of has given up? Just stay with it, and if it, if your mind wanders after three seconds, that's okay. That's that's okay. How do you deal with it?
4: Yeah. So I think just exactly the way that you said that is the way, is that, you know, that is exactly what happens. That is not unusual. That's not a failure. That's just what happens. That is the nature of attention. And so, you know, once people begin to practice this and they become comfortable with that, it's really not a problem at all. It's just what you begin to notice more. there's, I, I think the other thing that probably helps people is that knowing up front that it is a commitment. you know, It's not a, a quick fix. It's learning this kind of practice is, is something that does take time, and it takes some amount of effort and commitment. So having some motivation to, to practice um, is helpful, but also not having a tight grasp on it being a sort of uh, you know silver bullet for uh, uh, for benefiting you in a particular way. For example, so, some people come to our program with a wish to alleviate some sort of distress, and when you begin the process of practicing meditation, you might have a really strong wish, you know, towards something like that to. Uh, to have some relief from some symptom, from some suffering, and it's so helpful to not grasp too tightly to that wish, because that interferes with the learning, that grasping, that holding on too tightly to the to the goal, to that wish. So it helps to have some sort of openness to being in the process as it's happening, and. That is exactly what you're learning, too. So over the period of the eight-week program, that's learned. You know, that openness is is exactly what's learned. It's part of the process, and it's part of what mindfulness is, is learning how to be with your experience without pushing it away, without trying to make it different, and without trying to change it in any way, but just allowing.
0: So from what I'm hearing you, that... Reality is that mindfulness meditation is not the the silver bullet the magic pill to cure all that ails one, but it is a tool uh, that, when used and understood properly um, helps deal with working through issues, alleviating stress and focusing on the moment. Am I correct in saying that
4: that's yeah so that's so that's an interesting question. Um, yes. Yes and yes. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> um, it, so it could, yes, it, it is absolutely a tool that can help you to begin to notice more closely your experience and, um, you know, what else might be a part of the whole package of helping you to feel more alive or feel a better sense of well-being, and it might be also be the tool, but it really, I mean, there's, it's so complex how, uh, you know, how people receive this practice and mm-hmm. how they experience the practice that it's really hard to know the way that it will impact any individual.
0: We're speaking with Mara Way, uh, Associate Director of the University of Pennsylvania's Program on Mindfulness. And we'll be back with uh, Mara to pursue some other aspects of this very interesting subject right after these words from our friends at Kendall.
1: Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall a system of not-for-profit communities and services that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Kendall is committed to working with others as we together transform the experience of aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Welcome back to
0: our second segment here on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio. We're speaking with Mara Way, the Associate Director of the University of Pennsylvania's Program on Mindfulness. Um, Mara, w- real fast, if somebody wants to contact the program, how, what are the contact numbers, websites, etc.?
4: Oh, sure. So our web address is www.penmedicine.org mindfulness and our telephone number is 215-615-2774
0: the um of the three seg- three goals that we uh, you elucidated at the beginning uh, could you just speak to me a little bit about this this non-judgment thing because uh, we so many people are just driven to just judge everything but this the, one of the goals of mindfulness meditation is to enter into this state of non-judgment judgment could you just talk about that a little bit
4: Oh, yeah, that's, that's a really good question and um, interesting question. So what you notice, what you begin to notice as you can develop a, a mindfulness practice is that there's always judgment, that it's just inevitable. It's, you know, part of the way that we learn and grow as human beings is we learn what is right and what is wrong from the very beginning. We learn, and and that's how we kind of make sense of our world and navigate through our world. And so judgment is always there. And when it's not in our awareness, when we're not aware of our judgment, it drives our behavior. So mindfulness can help us to better notice our judgment and to see it as something that we don't necessarily need to believe so what mindfulness can afford us is the possibility to see clearly those beliefs, those black and white beliefs or those negative predictions or, you know, the way that we categorize or or judge or make meaning, and we can have a little bit of distance from it and and discern whether it's actually true for us or not. Um does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Uh, th- th- it's, it, it, w- before we start running out of time, there's a, a bunch of things I do, I do want to cover. Talk to me a little bit about the use of mindfulness meditation practice um, as a healing modality in the face of illness or serious. I, I, I keep seeing now uh, people dealing with significant illness, serious illness, who will – um, turn to mindfulness meditation to help them deal with, understand, and cope with a significant diagnosis. What uh, um, experience have you had with this?
4: Right. So, over the past 30 years, since Jon Kabat-Zinn created this eight-week mindfulness-based stress reduction model there has been an increasing amount of evidence based research um, and uh, to, to, uh, to see what the benefits of mindfulness is in a more rigorous and scientific way to see if it actually has a benefit and the most extensive research shows that mindfulness has an impact on mood and quality of life um, and emotional regulation, but also on memory and distraction. Um, it's used as a treatment for a wide variety of medical and psychological illnesses and symptoms. And m- many people come to us, you know, especially through all of our healthcare referrals through the health system and and through colleagues, uh, to manage some kind of illness or some kind of distress. Um, and so more than anything it seems that the impact is with managing and coping with the illness itself um, coping with the personal uh, you know moods and the uncertainty and the you know all of the challenges that one could be faced with with an illness mindfulness allows people to, you know, retain or regain some kind of stability in their lives as they're navigating, you know, some challenge like that.
0: Is mindfulness, Mara, a type of spiritual practice?
4: You know, it, it does become a spiritual path for some people. It, it has for me um, because it, it, it helps to point people to what's most important. Um, and, and that's actually how it has worked in my life. It it helps people to better know, you know, what they want and what provides meaning and purpose. And so, yeah, it does become a path for some people.
1: Can you and give
0: me an others- example? Can you give me an example from your life because that's a very interesting statement. That has become in essence for you a spiritual practice. I think it would be very illustrative. Give me an example if you can from your own personal experience.
4: Yeah, well, I, just that. I mean, for me, when I started practicing mindfulness, I actually didn't know anything. Of, I didn't even know the word mindfulness. I was actually a, a yoga practitioner, and I learned meditation and, and a yoga tradition. And when I came to work with the Penn Program for Mindfulness, that's when I learned mindfulness, and um, it had a profound impact on me. Uh, in that way, I had. A, a better sense of who I was and at the time I was suffering with some symptoms a depression and fatigue and insomnia and uh, I realized how much I was suffering and not really paying attention to the suffering that I was experiencing so I ha- there was sort of a breaking open that I had and all- in some ways it was a falling apart hmm. that allowed me to sort of be in the truth of my experience in a way that was more direct and then allowed me to find a healing path that was more true and that's what happened for me so um, at the time I was uh, lots of people including Michael Bain, were suggesting that I try this medication or try that treatment and I ended up just following the path that felt most true to me, and that's what worked for me.
0: Yeah, I, I, it's it's very fascinating because this came up also in the first segment today with the music issue. Um, this seems to seem to be growing uh, a trend, which I think is great to 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 get people off the idea that. You know with every concern, there's a pill, and you just take the pill as a medication for everything, as opposed to turning sometimes into your own natural resources um, for healing, uh, whether it 's through your own experience with music, as we saw in the first segment, or here with really the the mindfulness approach the meditation approach to internalize or actualize the resources of the body in in some of the material that that you sent me before the show it it says that you are a mind body coach and this seems to flow right um from what you're talking about what what is a mind body coach and how does this apply to what you're doing
4: yeah in fact mindfulness Sort of led me to the path of becoming a mind body coach because I became so passionate about mindfulness and tuning into my own body for to sort of notice what wanted to happen in my own life that I ended up being trained as a coach. Um, So yeah, a mind body coach is someone that uses mind body awareness tools as a way to work with individuals and sometimes groups to um, to work through their life challenges or to help them get unstuck or to help them move toward what they want. And it includes mindfulness, and sometimes it includes other kinds of mind-body awareness tools. Um, so it could, and there's a real range of how it could be used, but I tend to work with people that are depressed or anxious or stuck in their career or some other aspect of their life or, you know, in some other way, dissatisfied and, you know, have a longing for something more and I help them to tune into their own inner resources to navigate that path and find that true path for themselves.
0: So, well, here's one, because we're gonna be about to run out of time. And this, I think, comes from what you were just talking about, and it's a... So we'll give you a whole minute to answer this question. A really easy question.
4: <laughs> okay.
0: Are people afraid to trust their own instincts, to listen to their own soul and listen to their own body? Are people more afraid to do this in our culture?
4: I My belief is that people just don't know how. Ah. People lost touch with the ability to do that. And I believe that there is some fear in looking at what might be uncomfortable and being with what might be uncomfortable, but that there needs to be some more education around that and that it's not something that's widely taught. But I believe that it's growing. I believe that people are turning toward that more and more, especially with all of the kinds of distress that is happening in people's personal lives and in our culture.
0: Well, wow, thank you. Thank you very much. Mara Way, again, uh University of Pennsylvania program. Real fast contact information. What's the website, Mara?
4: It's penmedicine.org slash mindfulness.
0: Mara Way, the Associate Director of the University of Pennsylvania's Program for Mindfulness Meditation. Thank you very, very much. This has been great. Um, taught me a lot of good stuff here today. And I wish you continued success and um, just take care of yourself. Stay safe. Thank you very much for joining us here on Boomer Generation Radio, Mara, Take care.
4: Thank you so much. And you too.
0: Thank you. To all of you, have a great week. We'll see you next week. Here on Boomer Generation Radio, WWDBAM 860 here in Philadelphia, WWDBAM.com, streaming live. And watch for the podcast of today and other shows on JewishSacredAging.com. Take care, everyone. Stay safe. Talk to you next week.